and welcome. My name is Mary Lou, and you're listening to the Hero Hotspot podcast, which is all about well-being for women, both at home and at work. We'll be talking to female entrepreneurs about their business journey and what inspires them, but also what living and working holistically looks like to them. To hear and be able to relate to other people's journeys can be a powerful reminder to us all of our own inner strength, resilience and abilities, whilst also inspiring us to better ourselves. In this series, we'll also be meeting some holistic practitioners and exploring their wonderful practices and how they can help us in our everyday lives. In this week's episode, I'm delighted to introduce Amy Johns, a solution-focused hypnotherapist from Kingsbridge. We explore her therapy in depth and how it can help with a variety of issues such as IBS, anxiety, depression and pain. It was a really fascinating insight into the world of the brain and how we are able to apply ourselves to creating a dynamic and thoughtful life. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Amy as much as I did. If you sat next to someone at a dinner party and they asked what you did, what would you tell them? Um, I would say that I am a solution-focused hypnotherapist Um, and uh, the long version of that would be um, I work with people to help them um, achieve what their goal will be so we talk about ultimate happiness and what that might be for them Um, and um, it's about helping them uh, achieve that that end goal Um, I often work with people who are dealing with general anxiety or help them coping with uh, symptoms of depression. Um, But it isn't just about the general depression or anxiety. It can be where people are just stuck in a certain part of their life and they just need somebody to help them figure out how to move that forward. So um, what I do as a hypnotherapist isn't magic. Um, It is it is about actually helping them figure it out for themselves and helping them realize that they are the expert in their own lives. Mm. So I often call myself like a facilitator in some respects. Um, I I facilitate and ask them very solution-focused questions to help them figure out what they want for their future and how they can achieve it. we, I use a lot of neuroscience in what I do, so a lot of the sort of most up-to-date research in terms of how the brain works, and we talk about how the brain works going back to caveman days and relating back to that part of the brain um, where we we have those the emotional part of the brain, I suppose, um, and we use that knowledge to understand how we cope and how we deal with situations and then work with that to look at how we can deal with things differently going forward so when i so when i meet people they never quite know what i do and i have to explain it but i suppose you're quite lucky in a way that hypnotherapy is very open and very accepted and, and used across healthcare if there are any barriers that people have what do they tend to be what are their concerns about hypnotherapy? Um, well, I think actually still hypnotherapy is not, um, it is getting more common and more well known, but it's still not recommended by the NHS. The only thing the NHS recommend hypnotherapy for is IBS. 
um, because obviously really? the gut is very much related to the brain. So it's it's um, we produce, um, I think, 95% of our serotonin comes from the gut, um, and we also produce serotonin in our brain, and that's our happy chemical. So if we suffer from IBS, we can really suffer from stress um, as well, and that stress can exacerbate the IBS. So that's why the NHS will recommend hypnotherapy for IBS, but that's the only one. That's so it's still... <laughs> Yeah, it's still very much, I would say, people, um, because it's not a recommended like uh, CBT, um, people are unsure about it. They don't know too much about it. So I think, um, and, I, and I suppose the usual stage hypnotherapy uh, or hypnotherapy, uh, you know, hypnotherapy shows um, where people are on there making people like, like chickens. Yeah. we come up against that it's there's a oh it's just a it's just um a stage show kind of thing so you have that that lack of knowledge about how it works i suppose um and and the whole kind of potentially mind control um yeah. part of it but i it's not like that at all um if i was to go to a hypnotherapy um hypnosis show should I say not hypnotherapy a hypnosis show uh, the hypnosis guy he probably wouldn't choose me because I know too much about it so I'm not as susceptible to mm. getting up and acting like a chicken <laughs> um, when I work with <laughs> when I work with my clients um, it's about getting them to also understand that dance is very nice it's very relaxing and actually they're in complete control at all times um you know if they wanted to come out of the trance at any time they can so um my sessions are very much split into two parts the first part is talking where we are very solution focused we might talk about how the brain works how we might have dealt with something and how we can then possibly deal with that in the future and understanding um, the brain, so not just neuroscience, but using CBT techniques, NLP, and also uh, just mi mindfulness as well. Being having that awareness about how we how we think. Do people get stuck in that? Because I use a lot of goal setting in what I do, and mm. I know sometimes personally you're so stuck in where you are now that sometimes it's quite hard to imagine where you want to be. And I have to help my clients make that leap. Going actually, what what would it look like if you didn't have this problem? Yes. Or Yes. So um, I think it was in the 1970s or early 1980s, there was uh, Steve DeShazza um, and Kim DeBerg. I should need to figure out, find out, remember his name. But but they basically came up with, um, they, they um, the solution-focused brief therapy, So which is um, what I use within my talking part. Uh, to a certain extent, I use that that theory. Um, so basically, when they first uh, started developing the solution focused breathe therapy, they were working with a client who the whole life was complete mess, um, children, husband, whatever job and everything. And she just couldn't see a way forward. She couldn't see it. So um, they asked the question, if a miracle happened, what would you what would be the first thing you noticed that was different mm -hmm. and by giving her then time to think about it she then started saying well my kids wouldn't be doing this and my husband and blah 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 mm -hmm. and she started to visualize a different future yeah so, so it, yeah it is and that's that is the big 
key. So the massive bit about the neuroscience I use is that the brain doesn't know the difference between imagination and reality. Mm. So we, we talk about that, that limbic system part of the brain and what we tell it, it believes is true. Mm. Um, and it's about then, then kind of learning to, to think about things in a different way, to start practicing that, that, um, that skill of positive thinking because the more we have that skill yeah. the more we'll be working in our our left prefrontal cortex the positive part of our brain so the more positively we'll be thinking about things so the more we'll cope with things so anyways they got her thinking about best hopes for the future and from that they were then able to kind of start saying well what small change would you notice tomorrow mm. if you were moving towards that ultimate goal what would you be doing differently so so it's bringing it back the brain can't deal with huge changes mm. especially when we're working in that that emotional part of the brain if we're if we're really stuck in a place um we will probably be working in that part of the brain um more than anything um because actually it, the brain is like a muscle so the more we use that that limbic system the, and our amygdala the more we're working in our amygdala the fight flight and freeze part of the brain the bigger it gets so the more tendency we have to work in that part of the brain so we have to practice positive thinking so we bring our left prefrontal cortex back make that muscle the bigger and the amygdala will shrink back so it, it is it's like a doing physical exercise on our, our body muscles as well it's the same thing we have to do with our brains so so it's it's moving people and the more we work with people and and like you said you know you have to help them but it's it's getting them to have confidence in their own ability to do it mm. um, and know that they're an expert in what they want but the more we work with people over a, a number of weeks the easier it gets because the brain likes repetition as well so it, it begins to understand what's expected of it so mm. they'll be thinking subconsciously in the week oh I've got to go and see Amy she's going to be asking me these questions so what do I want mm. and it, without even realizing it they'll be starting to work think that way naturally and the trance part um, ultimately I give a track to my clients and I ask them to do it at bedtime every night so it's a lovely deep relaxation trance uh, track it's about 30 minutes and trance so we know as everybody will probably have heard in the news and all over the social media and the internet that sleep is a is key for our a healthy mental uh, behaviors mm. so um, that's how we reduce our stress down by getting decent sleep it empties out our stress bucket and it really helps us work in our left prefrontal cortex um, so by getting decent sleep we really do help ourselves. But when we're in a place where we're not feeling so great, often our sleep is impacted. So trance, 30 minutes of trance is equivalent to four hours worth of sleep. So right. it's a really powerful tool. So I give my clients that to do at bedtime or as close to bedtime as they can, fitting in with their routine um, because it supercharges their REM sleep and their mm -hmm. sleep. Um, but then when I'm in the session with them, the language patterns that and the things that I use within the trance are uh, fairly generic because everybody will hear things the key messages that are relevant to them. Mm. So it's not about what I think they need. It's mm. about what they will hear in them. Mm. But what it, we're doing is getting into a really, really nice, relaxed, deep state of relaxation. 
And when we're in that state, there's a part of the brain called the critical faculty, which is like our security guard. So I sort of say to my clients, if I was, when we finish, if I was to say I'm going out into my back garden and going off into space, your immediate reaction would be to kind of smirk and say, yeah, whatever. It's yeah. not true because I haven't got a rocket and I'm not, yeah. I'm, you know, it just doesn't happen. And the reason you smirk and dismiss it is that critical faculty is filtering out information. But sometimes that critical faculty can get it wrong. So what we need to do is lower it down. And the best way to do that is through deep relaxation. And then we start, you then have the ability to start uh, playing around with the building blocks of your behaviors within your brain to start embedding new behaviors and, and new changes. So when does that kick in because it must be out of childhood there's a point where your critical faculty gets shaped by society's reasoning or what you hear surely or am I wrong yes yeah I think so I think it's past behaviors experiences and things like that build our own inner voice and our own inner thoughts because again you're absolutely right it's not it's not um people it's not situations it's not events that cause the anxiety in our life or the stress or whatever us to not achieve something in our life it's our own thinking yeah because again I know you've got children that have gone off to university am I right yeah. um, or have gone away mm. and when they go you know that's a massive change you know yeah. when they were living at home I'm sure you were doing their washing yeah. Uh, you were cooking for them. You were doing everything for them. Yeah. School, when they were at school, they it's a different sense of learning. They're more spoon-fed. But when they go away to university, they're making new friends. They're having to pay bills. They're having to do their own washing, their own cooking, their own shopping. They're having to... Um, and then they're having to learn in a very different way. So we know that it's not the events, the situation or the people or that change in our life that causes the anxiety, um, but more our thinking, because otherwise all university students would be having um, panic attacks. And they're having, not. But having said that, Amy, I do have a friend who works in university and she deals with the mental wellbeing mm. students. And she is overrun by how many students who are not coping. Yeah. Who yeah. are, and who have their mental well-being is not safe and yeah. it's, getting, it's getting worse she says and i i think it's interesting i a is it uh i often wonder is it because we rightly so are more aware of mental health people mm. are more talking about it now they don't seem um, capable they don't seem to have the tools to cope with everything else. it's a huge life change yes whether as yeah. parents were not setting them up but they yeah are not able to cope with all the but I, that's something that i'm quite keen on I think you know um, and there's a lot of people out there already doing it but actually getting into primary schools and starting to talk to children about how the brain works because yeah. the biggest powerful thing when I sit there in my initial consultation and I talk to clients about how the brain works and I tell them about just I mean there's obviously huge amounts of different parts of the brain and I'm not a doctor um, I um, but um but the bits I talk about the the prefrontal cortex and the limbic system so your intellectual part of the brain the conscious part of the brain that we use to interact as we are now and then the limbic the original primitive part of the brain that we had when we were cavemen mm. that still works as if we were cavemen because it hasn't had a microsoft 10 upgrade on it but that's the emotional part of the brain those are the two bits so when we when we start to understand how those two 
parts work and what happens when we're working in those two parts, we can then actually start to recognize and notice which part of the brains we're working in. Mm. And when we can do that, we can start to have get, take control because it is our brain. It's one brain, two minds, but it's all ours. So I think going back to children, if we can start to, and they, they understand it, mm. they're not stupid. If we can start to educate them into the mental health and the way the brain works and how they can cope, uh, with different situations, whether that's social interactions with children or changes in circumstances, moving up to senior school, whatever it might be, exams, things like that. What we'll be doing is teaching them skills that are, they can then use at any point in their life. Yeah, yeah. so powerful and so because necessary. I, yeah, be because I think a lot of the adults I work with don't know this stuff. No. No. Um, and it makes and, me sad um, actually that, that the children don't get that as a matter of course and when I touched yeah. on this with Emma Lane Harvey about the skill set that children have and, and how empowering it is to understand actually I'm in control of, of a lot of things yeah. but yeah. to know you're yeah. in control of your mind and how you respond and whether you're freaked out or mm. upset or, or feeling worthless or feeling anxious it's at your fingertips really if you have the toolbox to know yeah. how to approach it differently so yeah. valuable yeah. And I mean, children, I work with children, different individual children differently to adults because children's brains are not as developed that, that, like adults. They're still going through that de de developmental stages. Mm. Um, so so they respond to trance and, and things very differently to an adult. Um, but um, but actually. Children do respond to the and they're interested. They are interested in yeah, it. Sure. Um, and and I use obviously we, we talked a little bit earlier on about the solution focused questions and, and guiding them to help them find. And I talk about time machines with children. You know, mm. if you're able to get into my time machine and go forward, what would be different? What would you notice about yourself? Um, and and it is about building that confidence um, and and finding their voice. I think yeah, letting them have a voice. Um, and I mean, I'm not perfect. I've got two children myself I'm I'm an expert in how the brain works but I don't always use the right language with my children um in terms of that positive um you know because we want to protect them we want to wrap yeah. them up mm. um and make everything better because that's a mother's instinct but mm. actually sometimes it's about saying do you know this is life yeah um what and giving them the the, the chance to figure out how they want to deal with it themselves mm. I mean, I've had issue with my um, with my eldest, who's now about to turn twenty-two. Mm. So, um, and again, I am all for supporting mental health, and I am utterly aware um, that it is an issue, and I'm not denigrating it in any way. But at times, she would ring me from uni and say, "I'm having a depressive episode," and I'd mm. go, "I'm really sorry you're doing that, but actually, I think you're just having a shitty day." You yeah. don't necessarily need to label it because they then get no. stuck in that, and I think it's disempowering for them or for her to say that. Going actually, if you're looking at the issue, you know, oh, I've got this, 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 and I, da, 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 da. Well, okay, isn't that amazing? You're seeing it as a, a burden or as an overwhelm. Yeah. But actually, isn't that exciting that you've got an interview or a this or a that? You yeah. Know? And and let's look at one at a time, which is which is time sensitive, which yeah. you put on the shelf for two weeks. And isn't it again about managing her overwhelm? Yeah. yeah. Let's sit for what it is rather than calling it a depressive episode. Yeah. And then yeah. labeling yourself, being, well, I'm depressed. You're not, yeah. you're just having to juggle life. And that's hard. 
and it is and i think this is the fine balance isn't it i mean i'm i had my own my own sort of breakdown a few years ago um and lots of different things going on in my life um and um and I, so i'm quite keen the one thing i am quite keen is to actually try and break down that stigma of mental health mm. but you're up against a battle in some respects because a when that person is in that place the limbic system is telling them all sorts of rubbish that says you're weak you, mm. you've got no strength you you're you're not worthy and things like that so it encourages people not to speak up mm. so actually having that strength to speak up and hold your hands up when you're in that position is really tough so mm. you've got you've got that side of it but then I also think yes you're absolutely right um again when you talk start talking to children you know they don't they haven't got the emotional intelligence that we've got so they don't know anything about anxiety really like we've mm. just talked about or um you know not or being worried or things like that so it's only when parents start to actually put a label on it mm. that they will then go oh I've got a problem yeah yeah so so you're absolutely right in terms of we don't want to go too far into kind of mm. going oh this is what it is because yes life is up and down and it's about using those skills to cope with those ups and downs and knowing that you'll come up again. It's only when you keep going down that it's yeah. a problem. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it is about recognizing. Yeah. And understanding what you need to do as a person to help yourself come back up again. Yeah. And that's, and that's the empowering that, bit. And that yeah. is to have the tools and have the understanding and not go, Oh my God, I'm just going down a slide. So, Yes, yeah. I must keep going. Well, actually, no, it is. Life is an up and a down, of, you know, the peaks yeah. and the troughs. And knowing that actually yeah. you will come up, but let's give you the tools to do it or change your mindset or change your language or give you the support yeah. you need. So I think, I mean, I, I grew up with um, an anxiety condition called trichotillomania, which was where I pulled all my hair out. Um, so I had that for many years and I discovered hypnotherapy and that's what helped me. So that's why, surprisingly, I got into hypnotherapy <laughs> because I just, I just loved it. It made sense. And I love all about this talk. I can be a right brain bore. So I, I, it really just hit home with me and it changed how I think and how I live. Um, and then I had cancer and I worked a very busy job in my old job and life just got too much. And um, I ended up on the floor. So I did a complete change of career and became a hypnotherapist at that time. But so but even though I, I know the answers, I know the solutions, I know what I should be doing, it doesn't mean that I, I'm not human. Yeah. And I've still got this part of the brain that can mean that when my stress levels go up too much, if I've been really busy or not very well, or you know things have been happening in my life, I, my stress levels will go up. But what's the difference now is that I recognize what's going on. I feel, I recognize the signs within my body and I'm very aware of it, how I'm thinking, how I'm feeling, how I'm reacting to the children. And at that point I go, right, I now need to put my, my skills into place. Mm. I need to do this. I need to do that, whatever it might be. And I take control of it and I, I action eliminates anxiety at the end of the day. So it's, it's about taking control. And is that having to be, is that training? Because sometimes I think, well, I can do it if I'm conscious, if I'm really present all the time, which we're not. We're just reacting all the time or coping all the time 
So do you find that easier because of your training or just because you are much more aware and conscious? Um, I think, A, having the hypnotherapy for myself obviously taught me a lot. I would say that I'm then talking about it with my clients on a daily basis. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think there is that, that constant talking. But what I would say is when I talk to clients, the, it, it becomes a habit. You're, you're forming yeah. a new habit. Mm. So it's about practice, you know, whenever, whatever kind of habit it is. So when I first ha- um, ended up basically mentally and physically on the floor, um, I went on sabbatical and I was like, right, okay, my first step is I'm going to start running. I've got to get physically fit. So just for myself, I'm going to go out running. And it was painful. I hadn't really done any exercise for a good couple of years. Um, and um, it hurt <laughs> to go out running basically, but I made myself go because it was for me. And I now am what five years on. Um, I'm now um, a consistent runner. I run, and and I know when I haven't been running because I can. I, it's one of my signs. I know that going out for a run really keeps me in a great place from from mind perspective um as well as sort of fit but um but actually if i haven't run for a week 10 days i feel it physically and mentally um but it took practice to get that into be a habit Mm. and it's exactly the same with positive thinking and awareness and mindfulness and all of those those skills of being looking at what you know that thought management as I call it. It is. Um, and for me, I, for me, I just call it ego. It's, it's separated that voice that goes, oh, shit, it's going to go all wrong or, or mm. you're no good at this. That, yeah. I don't know what you would call it. For me, that's what I call ego. It's like, well, if you listen to that, it's only going to go in one direction. And it's happened yeah. for me, put a, a positive spin on going, you know, I've, I've been through worse or I've gained strength from this or I'm wiser because of this and not indulging. And maybe yeah. indulging is the wrong word because it, it sounds like you want to do it, but not being held captive to it, not, yes. not, not that, and, that being a stronger voice. So I, I talk about acceptance, um, accepting that we have this part of this brain that will is encouraged to think negatively because it's there to save our lives. That is what the amygdala, the fight, flight and freeze part of the brain is there to save our lives. Um, we needed it um, and we still do. We need to know when not to stop, step out into a road. Um, but it can get it wrong and um it's it's about recognizing that it's getting it wrong um so can i take you sideways on this to a personal issue which i've not done before i, I was telling you earlier that my husband has um chronic pain mm-hmm. and over the years he's had it for 10 years he's on loads of drugs and there are various sort of physical or, or medical things we've tried which haven't worked and i have felt very strongly over the years and he's slightly sort of buying into it now that the brain has the ultimate power over his pain and i was listening to a chap called um oh escape now he's an australian chap come, come to me in a minute it's got a very unusual name and he was talking about the amygdala mm-hmm. and he was saying uh giving a story that um he was saying the amygdala again please prove me wrong on this um if need be that amygdala hard was by the age of about six and mm. anything it learns prior to that um, becomes, it goes into your hard drive. And he was talking about pain and how he was walking through the bush uh, in Australia and um, he thought a leaf had brushed his leg. 
and actually it turned out to be a lethal snake bite, which almost killed him. Right. So he recovered from that, obviously. And next time he was walking through the bush and and literally a leaf brushed his leg. It wasn't a snake. The brain went, hang on, last time that happened, you almost died. So Mm -hmm. my brain goes, you know, red flashing lights on warning. And he sort of collapsed in pain, although it was literally a leaf. Yeah. So I'd had a thought about my husband who had two very painful experiences as a child. He lived abroad, um, lived in Malaysia, and he um stood on a drain cover and his feet basically melted to the drain cover and they had to peel his feet off so horrendous you know took all the skin off yeah massively yeah. massively painful and another occasion where he fell into um i think it was a green ant nest and it was the ants that leave their heads in and leave loads of toxins in so they had to pull like yeah. 100 ant heads out of his body so he'd had these two massively painful experiences and i'm thinking is there a link between what the amygdala has learned from that to then mm. He has this spinal injury. And from what I understand, the body, there is pain doesn't exist. And what happens is the nerves send a message to the brain, and it's how the brain then interprets it, yeah. like the leaf and the snake, like Lorimer, Lorimer Mosley, I think his name is, um, how mm-hmm. the brain goes, oh, hang on, this is either a leaf or it's lethal, and it's a snake yeah. bite. So yeah. does that fit in with your Yes, things? yeah, it does. So what we've got is... There's three parts to the limbic system. The most influential bit is the amygdala, as we talked about, which is your fight, flight, and freeze part of the brain. You've got your hypothalamus, which in simple terms uh, regulates all the chemicals to the body and the brain. So this is the bit that kind of sends messages to release hormones, uh, sort of cortisol, adrenaline, serotonin, dopamine, things like that. And then you've got the hippocampus, which is your memory it's the bit that holds all of your behaviors and your your memories and sometimes they're inappropriate memories and behaviors so you talk about um you were just talking about that pain doesn't exist and when it comes to chronic pain potentially what's happened what we say so if you break your arm you've got acute pain and that is pain because you've broken your arm but the pain as it heals it goes and the message is that sensation pain back to the brain from the arm that's Uh, the body going don't move you're in pain or make it worse yeah Yeah. it's making it yeah but chronic pain we talk about or i talk about having um um a pain a gate and the gate's been left open so there's no there's there's no pain there to a certain extent it's just that this message is keeps on going around and around the circles i think that's probably the easiest and simplest way yeah. it's probably a lot more complicated than that uh, um but but that's the easiest and simplest way to explain it so it will go to that point and then it will send a message back so with hypnotherapy we don't it's not always possible to get rid of that pain um although it, it can make it it can ease it. It depends on the, the the person's situation. Yeah. So it would be. It would. We would know whether we can learn if we're looking to reduce the pain, or whether we're looking to actually just cope with the symptoms. If that makes sense, depending on an individual situation. But then, um, after ten years, my husband's mindset is so entrenched. Yes. Understandably, and that's. I don't mean that. In a, I'm a hugely admirer of his that he's, you know, coaches Hopes every day and yeah. gets up and actually manages to go to work. That the longer it goes on, the harder it must be to break that. Well, yeah, so I've he, seen it on the X-rays. I've seen where the damage is. You can't yeah. cure it. It exists. 
and he yeah. just thinks a certain way. So, so he's got yeah he will have this message that's going into if what we did yesterday ensured our survival we will be encouraged to do it again so it's he's got this uh thought behavior memory in his hippocampus and he will be sent there that's where it well it's what's familiar this is what's always happened yeah. so if we talk about panic attacks again in very simple form um it it becomes a panic attack you might be in sainsbury's or any other supermarket, um, and uh, and it <laughs> and um and it will you'll start to panic, and the brain is looking for the danger. Where's the danger? Where's the danger? Where's the danger? And it it can't always find the danger, and you end up with this panic attack, the panic building and building and building. You end up with a panic attack. The next time you go into Sainsbury's, you're going into the hippocampus and said, "Oh, Sainsbury's was dangerous." Yeah. Sainsbury's was dangerous. So you're nervous already mm. about going there because it could happen again. Mm. It could happen again. Be careful. Do you really want to go to Sainsbury's? It could happen again. Yeah. And and what happens is that potentially it becomes more about your thinking than actually Sainsbury's. We know logically, rationally, Sainsbury's is not dangerous. Yeah. Um, it's not going to hurt you. But we we end up in that that thinking where we're going into the hippocampus I had a panic attack last time so it's going to happen again mm. so it's about recognizing and it, it's sort of the same with IBS you know people going out on journeys um they're they may be away from the comfort of their home um so oh it's going to happen but actually we're already pumping cortisol into our body because it happened last time and I got mm. caught out I had to go to the toilet mm. we're already pumping cortisol into our body and we know that um, when it comes to that, when we start to get stressed, what the body is doing is saying, I need to shut down all um, unneeded functions for survival, one of them being the gut. Yeah. And, and therefore, that's why we can end up feeling sick when we get stressed, our stomach can churn and things like that. And that's because it's, it's not needed for us to run away from those wild animals of caveman days. Um, so it's it, it yes it becomes an embedded memory it doesn't mean you can't learn and you can't reverse it and that's when we talk about the serotonin and um, so I then go into I talk to my clients about um, the production of uh, serotonin is that natural high mm. um, so um, yeah, again, we talk about caveman days. We relate. I relate a lot back to caveman days because that's how we, we yeah, were. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and it's only society. And as we, as I said, the limbic system hasn't um, it hasn't had an upgrade. It is still as it was. We've just clumped on these new bits onto our brain, our limbic system. Um, sorry, left prefrontal cortex, left cortex part of the brain. That's our intellectual. And as we've got more um, advanced, that the bit that's made us more advanced so the limbic system is still very primitive um and it's it's about so we, we we need to think about how that part of the brain responds so we talk about it initially in the negative in terms of anxiety anger and depression and those three primitive responses to keep us alive but then we also have to look at how 
we coped with those situations. It wasn't an easy lifestyle to live. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we weren't always, I didn't always have food. We had, we lived as a tribe because for our survival. So we talk about the fact that we had to be physically active in a positive way. We have to interact in a positive way. And we have to think in a positive way because when we do those three things, we're producing this wonderful flow of serotonin and other lovely neurotransmitters in the brain that act as a catalyst for healthy behavior when i talk to my husband about um so getting up in the morning it is he wakes up at sort of four or five o'clock in the morning the first two hours Mm. and his words might be hit by a train and he just can't Mm. function so sometimes i'll go to bed going and i I know he often says oh well the mornings are awful and i hate going to sleep because i dread waking Mm. up and i and i I'm a Libra, and so I split everything. But half of me absolutely is steeped in empathy and sadness and worry mm. for him. And then the other half goes, don't say that. Don't have that expectation that mm. we're going to yeah. wake up in pain. And I feel really mean saying it because I, this other half of me goes, that's awful. And I see it and I witness it. But the other half goes, but the power of your thoughts and the power of your expectation and the power of your brain is mm. so huge. But he's going, oh, no, I don't think I'm going to wake up in pain. I just, I suppose he just says, I just know I am and it hurts. Yeah. And getting him out of that. And I suppose it becomes like acceptance. It's the same with people that have got IBS. Um, you know, actually accepting that they that there's an element of IBS and it could happen um, is reduces the stress down and the pressure down. So, therefore, they won't have the same reaction. And I totally hear that. And that's wonderful if someone is calm and goes, it's okay, let's just cope and I'm accepting. And then the energetic side of me goes, but energetically, if you just go, well, this is what I've got. You're sitting in that. And there's no expectation of it ever shifting and things. So it's not about, yeah, so that's it. So it's not about, there's an element of accepting, but then it's living your life anyway. Does that make sense? So that's where the three P's, that what I call the three P's, positive activity, positive interaction, and positive thinking come into place. That's where we need to get our focus on. Because when we do that, so I, I talk about um, with my clients, I, I um, talk about um, a guy who actually had, um, so if you, I don't often use like for like with clients when I talk about stories and things like that. Um, but actually this one's quite relevant. So um, pain, he, he had chronic pain. And what we, what we discovered was that when he was at home on his own, he used to have to take the tablets and, he, and it was miserable and he felt, oh, the pain was there. But then there was a time where he, his mate said, right, come on, I'm going to take you out. And he went out for the day and he had a great time with his mate and they went all over the place and he was fine. Mm. And then it wasn't until he got back and he was on his own that he then noticed the pain again. Mm. So it's not, it's not to take away from from the pain and say you know come on it's all in your head but it's about actually not letting it rule does that make sense it's it's not letting it's it's about actually saying because he will go to work and he has a physical job and he says he can he'll work sometimes 12 hour days and actually being active and distraction is the best thing because he doesn't feel the pain the problem is he does it for yep. longer and longer and longer to get away from the pain. And when he comes home, it hits him like a train because yeah. he's physically done right. too much. But combined yeah. to that, he's also got ADHD, which he loves. He's so excited about the fact he has ADHD. Right. Right. Okay. His brain doesn't sit in it long enough. So his brain's yep. pinging all the time 
But yeah. it's only when he stops, yeah. it's like, oh, you know, jeepers, this is when the train hits. This is when the pain comes back. Yeah. So I totally relate to yeah. that. Yeah. And, and it is, it's about him finding that balance, I suppose, and having, and, and but, but knowing what's right for him. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, it, in, I don't, you know, without going into too much, <laughs> talk about your husband too much, but, but it is about that. So with clients, I am getting them to think about those three P's. Mm. So, but we start really with, so what would be different? So the question would be, so if you were coping, you know, yes, you're, you've got a physical job, um, but if you were to wake up tomorrow and you were coping with that pain when you got home from work in a, in a, a better, in the way that they, he wants to, how would you know that you were? What, what small thing would you have noticed that would suggest to you that you are coping with it what would you be doing differently mm. that makes sense mm. so it's that kind of have a think that that future hope of how would you know so even if you were feeling the pain if you were coping with it what would you be doing mm. um anyway and it could be that he was sitting there and he was having a laugh with you it could be that he was i don't know doing some mind calm stuff or whatever 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 makes him happy but it would be those three p's so the positive activity which doesn't have to be exercise um because you know a lot of my clients they come to me and they they don't like exercise then they're not in the right place for it so we're talking about playing music or fiddling with cars or baking or sewing or reading or listening to music whatever it might be as long as it makes them happy and there's a positive activity um sometimes it's even getting rid of the the actions that for work that may be hanging over your head that you you just keep putting to one side you know actually just ticking one of those off that can make you feel better positive interaction being with your friends and family you know a lot of the time people when they're not in a good place they don't want to be with people but actually if you if you can get through that feeling and just you know say oh i'm not feeling great but i'm here your loved ones will expect and friends will accept that Yeah. yeah and actually after a while you probably find that you still have that great night how many nights have you gone oh i'm too tired to go out yeah. And then you go out and you have a good night. Yeah. And it's that, it's that positive interaction. Yeah. Um, we're better as a tribe than we are as an individual. Um, but it's also about staying true to your boundaries yeah. and putting and making sure you've got a voice. So going yeah. back to what we're talking about with children. Yeah. Um, and then that, that positive thinking, you know, yeah. thoughts come and go. It's that negative, you know, yeah. we might have negative thoughts, but we also have positive thoughts. It's, yeah. it's not getting hooked into that negative thought so it takes over the whole brain mm. it's about just accepting that it's there and it and it will go focus on something that does make you happy so I kind of we talk a lot about positive interaction and positive action because they're more tangible mm. and once you've kind of start to make those small changes in someone's life one small thing whether it's putting lipstick on before you go out in the morning mm. to give mm. you a little bit more confidence you start to feel proud of yourself yeah. and the, the positive thinking naturally comes yeah. is what I find. I think my, um, one of the biggest learnings for my husband is um, he's a huge advocate for hidden illness, whether that be MS or depression or pain or mm-hmm. yeah. fibromyalgia or anything like that. Is, is putting, as you say, putting your lipstick on and going out. It's the biggest barrier is meeting other people's expectations. 
Mm-hmm. And he was learning that people will say, you know, oh, how are you? And that can apply to anyone with a, with a head illness. And more often than not, you want to go, oh, I'm fine, because you want to make it okay for them, because you don't want to necessarily have to deal with them going, oh, is it really bad? Or, oh, well, let's carry on. Yeah, yeah. And I think as a society, it's really valuable for us. Um, again, I know it's very PC now, but genuinely for us to be accepting about whether you have got IBS or, or you know that your friend has to, you know, be somewhere where she knows there's a toilet or um, someone who is anxious in a, a large social setting is to accommodate all of that and and be okay with them not being okay, not having to make them feel yeah. better and just sitting yeah. in that space with them and going, actually, you did it. You went out for a night out or, you know, you managed yeah. to do one yeah. drink and everything and not, having yeah. to, you know, waiting for someone with a hidden illness to make you feel better, I think is quite mm. common subconsciously because you feel uncomfortable. You don't know what to do yeah. with a depression or an illness. But again, do you not think that's because we're a tribe and if we go back to caveman days, um, we really communicated through those emotions so mm. crying uh, if you felt guilty it's because you knew you'd done something wrong you know mm. crying showed everybody else that you were feeling down mm. but actually we also have in the brain we have these mir- mirror neurons um which means that that I, I suppose the easiest way is that's where our empathy comes from so um it's how children learn to react to, to something so in the jungles if they came across a wild animal they wouldn't know it was dangerous but the mother's reaction fearful mm. her body language would change whatever else or she would also probably tell the child to run but <laughs> we have these mirror neurons in the brain that teach us um the empathy and, and pick up what we're doing so we feed off each other again um you can say you could say that two people in a in an office one-to-one manager and um, member of staff you know they go in and if somebody's already working in their amygdala then very likely then the other person will naturally work in their amygdala as well Mm. Um, and it's only when one person changes their approach that actually the other person will probably change their approach because of these mirror neurons in the brain so so I think we have this natural empathy as a tribe, as a group of people, that when we care about somebody, we want to make them feel better yeah. as well, because mm. that would ensure our own survival. They would survive, we survive, mm. kind of thing. Mm. So, so I think it's not, it's not about beating ourselves up because we've got that natural want to make people feel better. But I do agree with you. I think it's learning that actually, again, the person is the expert in themselves and and you need to respect that. Mm. And it's difficult if you're living with somebody with depression. Um, you just want to make them feel better, but yeah, it's yeah. not. It's but about, that's about you, not about them. Yeah, yeah, mm. and that's right, exactly. Yeah. And it's it's so it's about learning to cope again. You know, learning to cope with that person, mm. so you don't take it all on your own shoulders mm. as well. Mm. Um, but you are right in terms of, I think it's good to say, actually, I'm not feeling great today. Mm. With the people you trust. Yeah. It doesn't have to be to everybody, but the mm. people we trust, I'm not feeling great today. Um, and then it's about having the confidence to say, you don't need to do anything else, but just be aware that yeah. I may not be myself. It's, it's what, but that you might want them to do something differently. So it's yeah. whatever you want them to do mm. It's having the confidence to mm. put those boundaries in place. Mm. And it is having a voice as someone who suffers um, with whatever uh, physical or mental ailment to actually go, actually, I'm, I'm okay where I am. I'm okay. And, and that's, you have to, a lot you have to accept that, whether you accept or not, it's up to you. Mm. But that, when you're already feeling under par, to mm-hmm. then feel okay, it's a big step. 
And it's, yeah. I think it's a huge triumph for anyone to be able to own that and sit on that, sit in that space and yeah. go, actually, I'm okay with not being well today or being on the sofa all day. I'm not going to feel guilty. I'm not going to do this. And yeah. that, this is the fact that I'm out of bed and I'm dressed is huge. In yeah. my world, that's 20 steps. In yours, it's step one. But it's yeah. a relative, isn't it? And I, th- I think when I started really going, so I talked about I had trichotillomania, went through hypnotherapy, changed everything. But then um, our lives, when the children were babies, really was very very busy I had I worked in uh, sales for in financial services my husband works in financial services but he used to go away um, four days a week and I was going to London Scotland wherever throughout the week and then coming home to the children so I for four years I was basically in the week a single mum with a full-time job that traveled as well um and my mum, very early on, said, oh, if you keep this up, you're going to end up on the floor. Um, I was then diagnosed with cervical cancer. So I had to have a hysterectomy and had to go through all of that. And they, after that, um, I literally came back to work. I then fell over and broke my ankle. So I couldn't drive again for another eight weeks. Um, and I actually started to go into, uh, um, go get low. I was yeah I was probably depressed so I ended up on long-term sick again for a bit because I just wasn't mentally fit um and then towards the end of the year November I I mean I in my job as well I was always I've always that that personality I've got is that I strive to be the best yeah and I've got I'm lovely to everybody else but I can always have quite high expectations of myself compared to I wouldn't expect it of anybody else but me no I have to deliver um so I always had that that attitude so I was trying to do so much and recover from cancer and everything else and, and um my manager came to me and said oh you're you you've got gaps I was a line manager and she said you've got gaps in your management and I had been a line manager for 15 years and I knew it I recognized that I wasn't doing my job as well as I I used to do it and and basically that was it. Um, I just went. I can't do this anymore, and um, chose to take a sabbatical. And um, because I knew if I went on long term sick, the way my brain worked, I would be always thinking I need to be back at work. Yeah. yeah. So I chose a sabbatical for myself um, because I knew then I've got six months to do what I want to do. Yeah. And um, and I I basically like you were saying I started off and um I spoke to the doctors I said I didn't want to go on to antidepressants that was my choice and she said well if you're not moving off the sofa in a month come back to me because it will help you move um and help you you know either yeah it helps with the whole serotonin production and um but I, I didn't. Initially, I just sat on the sofa. I had a guilty secret of watching that new Hawaii Five O. It was <laughs> my guilty pleasure, uh, <laughs> which everybody just takes the mickey out of. Uh, but I just sat there. I watched it on Sky One, and I was quite happy just resting. Yeah. And it felt strange for me. I felt guilty initially because I felt like I should be doing something. Yeah. But I, I let myself do it. And then, and then I started to go out running a couple of times a week. And then after I'd been doing that for a month, I then joined the, the local running club that was part of my boys' school. 
Um, so I started meeting people and things like that. And and I was always in the background. I was always like, I need to make a decision about what I'm doing with my career because I've always worked. I've always got to do it. Got to do it. Got to do it. And I'd gone back to see my own hypnotherapist at that time as well. And he was just like, if you just take the pressure off and don't worry about it, the answer will come. Mm. The more pressure you put on, the more you're working in your limbic system, so the less you know what you want. So by just taking the pressure off, I would work in my intellectual part of the brain, that left prefrontal cortex, which would be able to figure out what I want. And it did. I just went hypnotherapy yeah. and I never went back. So, so I think about allowing yourself mm. and not feeling guilty um, is a big thing um, in terms of looking after yourself. I found that so um, interesting. I found that really, I, I, I would term it so... Um, differently in my language both in my faith and in my training but it's the same it's the mm. same result yeah however you word it is is not yeah. pushing it and and for me it's sitting and trusting and faith and allowing it to come yeah. rather than because I'm very analytical and I will always try and find yes. a reasoned way to get through something yeah, but that never me. unless it's literally a, a something at work like, okay I've got to do this this and this it doesn't serve me living being feeling it's about mm. giving up that analytical ego, whatever it is, control to go, okay, what's mm. going to come? What do I feel? Again, mm. heart, gut. So stop thinking with this yeah. and actually connect yeah. with the rest of my body. So yeah. interesting. Yeah, it is. And I think there are lots of us out there that do, um, we all have our, our different ways. Um, and and it, it's, and this is why I think there's, there is space for all of us yeah. to help people because actually you will connect with the people that it resonates with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, you know, I, what am I trying to say here? It doesn't matter whether, you know, you and I do help people in similar ways, but do it very differently. Yeah. But actually if it's right for that person, mm it's right for that person which is why when I first meet my clients I always give them a free initial consultation because because actually I want them to understand what the process is and make mm. sure I'm the right person for them mm. Mm. because if I'm not then actually it's not going to be the most it's not going to be powerful it's not going to they're not going to progress like they they would still progress but not probably as powerfully as no. they would if the rapport was there so I mean yeah. I've had clients sorry I have to say, in one of the podcasts I was listening to, that she calls it the, the two uh, the two yes system. It's about mm. as much as you taking on board people that you know you can help, genuinely help and, and yeah. connect with, as them going, actually, yes, I can connect with this. I want to do that. Because it, yeah. it's yeah, really valuable. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That. Yeah, I think it is having that that therapeutic rapport mm. is, is key. Because there's no point helping um, someone you know it's no. not going to succeed because one it doesn't obviously it doesn't help them but it doesn't give you as a professional mm. great feedback so no. you've, you've both got no. to ascend in the same way yeah yeah so I work quite successfully with adults on zoom um uh, but um I have and I do work with children um but on zoom I'm very clear with the parents that actually because they're children, they don't have the same attention span mm. and it's a very different format to being in a room with a child where you can actually interact more physically play, yeah. pick things up and things like that. Um, so I will, we'll say we'll give it a go, but I'll be very clear mm. up front within the first couple of sessions 
if I think it's if if it, if Zoom's not right for them, mm. and then I will always look to find them a, a some you know a solution focused hypnotherapist within their area if mm. it's not right. And I think we we have a responsibility as therapists to do that um, to make sure that we are giving our clients the right support that they need. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I think it's I love my job and um, much better than financial services. <laughs> What moving forward in five years' time, I know it's a horrible interview question, but how do you want it to look then for you? Do you have any plans of how you want to um, uh, be treating people or professionally, what that looks like for you? My children will be older, so I'll have more time for myself. So currently what I do is, is kind of based around work-life balance it's perfect for the family um when i lived in bristol i used to also do workshops so i used to go into big businesses um and corporations and and deliver either three-hour workshops or lunch and learns or whatever it might be that was relevant for them teaching people how they how the brain works and how they can do so they might not need to come and see me on a one-to-one but again it was teaching people how what they can do for themselves and I loved that actually and and because I worked within those kind of businesses for Mm. 20 odd years um, I get how they work so I wouldn't mind doing you know building that up again Um, uh, since I've moved to Devon from Bristol um, I haven't done that part Mm. Um, just sort of been settling into the area, looking after the children. So I've kind of had, had time off. So um, I'm just been doing one-to-one clients. So I, I would like to see that part um, getting out into companies again and doing that. Um, because, yeah, surprisingly, I'm a bit of a performer. I did not know that about myself <laughs> until I started doing these workshops. Um, but, um, but, yeah, I don't mind getting up in front of them. Um, and doing that kind of training so that part and I would like to see helping more people sort of that one-to-one it, it's it's just yeah I do I just want to help people I know that sounds really no ridiculous. I, no, I get it I've been saying it to my husband for the last couple of years um, and all my frustrations you know, all I want to do is help and it does yeah. sound trite but it actually it's just been a burning it's the same phrase yeah. I just want to yeah. be of service I just want to help I think that's my personality. So if I look back to my old job as a line manager, obviously I was working with people in terms of their own development, career development, and and I also wrote training and delivered training and facilitated a few sales conferences, things like that. So so I I've naturally got that's the bit that I really loved to do was when I was working one to one with my my team and I saw them progress how mm. they wanted to progress. I loved that training side of it. Um, so I think I've, not, I've got that in my personality. And now I've just found something that I'm truly passionate about. Mm. I truly believe in and I know how much it can help people. And, and I, just want pe- I just want people to know about it. Mm. And um, I would say I'd also, I, I haven't got it in my head how, but the, the stigma of mental health and, and helping people feel more comfortable. So within the community, just trying to help people talk about mental health more, mm-hmm. I would say would be something um, that, but I, how I do that, if I'm honest, I haven't quite figured that one out. So what it comes, do? it'll come, don't you think? A bit like you write at the beginning of just sitting and not, not analysing it. It will start yeah. to emerge and then I think, yeah. you know, my language is the universe 
if you put it out there, all the opportunities will come. And then if you recognize them, you can then take that journey or adapt what you're doing um, and maybe use your experience in the financial sector. Actually, Mm -hmm. I can use the 20 years I've had and this wonderful new skill and serve and then combine the two. Yeah. To help yeah. the people that you that you speak that language and they'll recognize yeah. you for who you are plus the gift that you bring into their workplace yeah so so yeah i think that's that's the future i'll have more time the children won't be interested in me it anymore. doesn't make so. a difference yes <laughs> factoring the kids ages in always makes a massive difference yeah it? so um so i'll have more time to to focus on actually doing something for me that will mean I, I kind of said I by the time I kind of retire and or not retire but you know get to the end of my life I would like to feel like I've I've done something that's given back and yeah. um, working in pensions and investments although they are important yeah. I never quite felt that no, I was no. doing something it's not but, soul work is it no yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my final question Amy and again, it's a bit of an interview question, but what would be the biggest lesson do you think you've learned in the journey of, of doing hypnotherapy and, and your health and your mental well-being? Oh, um, I would say that for me, it's, it's that, that self-belief, um, you know, and having that confidence in in what I can do and what I can offer. Um, as I said earlier, I think there's there's a lot of us out there that do do want to do the same thing, which is help people. And we all might do it slightly differently, um, but it doesn't mean that anyone's better than me or I'm better than anybody else. I've just got my own way. Um, and I think it's it's keeping that in my mind if that makes does that make sense it's it's about believing in my own ability Mm. um, to do what I do because um I'm not bad at (laughs) I'm good at it you know you you know Um, your subject that's for sure yeah yeah so yeah so and I am passionate about it and when I meet the right people my the clients will come to me you know the right clients will come to me and it's having that faith that actually it will happen Mm. Uh, when it's right it will happen Mm. it took I mean like I said I we moved down to Devon uh, 2018 I really took a year off um, and was just working with online clients that were coming to me sort of organically if we want to use that kind of word Um, and um, so I really wasn't promoting myself or doing anything down here I've started to do a little bit more about promotion down here Um, but it's about again remembering that even in Bristol it, it took time to build up the client base because um because i think what we do is a lot about word of mouth and referrals mm. um, people, can, because, yeah what i try and my um, history is quite different it's uh, it's retail and it's manufacturer mm. and it's selling things and again although i love that i always felt it was about well i need to sell this in order to make money and what i love about mm. now is I just want to help and I happen to get paid for it. And I think energetically, if you just go, yeah. forward, I'm just going to keep serving, I'm just going to keep helping. Rather than having to push, going, I need to do this to get a return, you just give, give, give. And, I, and again, energetically, I think yeah. it creates this gentle way, but it does come back. And yeah. it's all about yeah. the intention and what you do. And again, yeah. trusting. But if I'm doing, if I'm being the best version of myself, offering the, the best skill set and helping with, um, with heart, 
you know, it can only come yeah. back in spades. And I, actually, I think the, the other part I would say is, and this goes back to uh, something I said to my hypnotherapist quite a few years ago, was he, he kind of asked me what I wanted. And I kind of said, I just want to get to the like 60. This was my few years ago, uh, you know, the age of 60 or whatever, and know that I have enjoyed my life. I've lived my life. I've not been worrying about uh, what I haven't got or what I want or the future. Mm. I actually know that I've lived in that moment and I've done everything I wanted to do rather than worrying about what I haven't done yet. Because I think very much before that's the way my mind worked. I was always working in the what ifs or what do I want and the future worries. And, and now I'm very much more about actually if I want to do it now, even if I look like silly, you know, Mm. if I want to dance, I'll dance. I don't care what I look like uh, in public. Um, I can't dance. Um, I know I can't, but I will still do it because it makes me happy. And it's not who needs to worry about what other people, if they want to think, oh my God, she looks like an she looks balmy then that's fine but at the end of the day if it makes me happy so it's giving these things a go and and actually not letting that fear or that worry stop me from doing it and that's a big thing I try and teach my kids is you know it there's nothing to fear but fear itself and and you know you ask them and they're like yeah we've heard it before and I'm like no (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna hear it again (laughs) So, yeah, if you're so constantly projecting into the future, you can never have your feet in the ground in the present and no. you miss everything no. that's going on. You you do, you miss it. And I think, yeah, so I think just not not worrying about things and just enjoying things yeah. as much as you can now. Amy, yeah. I think that's a really beautiful way to end. That's a really beautiful sentiment. Thank you so thank much you. for your time and sharing and thank all you. your knowledge. It's no, been fun. Pleasure. I've enjoyed I've it. Really enjoyed it. <laughs>